Network. Hi, this is Stephen Turek from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you another episode of Ego, the 80s geek out. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 19 of Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast. My name is Ian Clark, and I am joined, as always, by the Corey to my Corey, Mr. A. Bradford Anderson. Brad, how are you this morning? Good morning, Ian. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a while. It has been a while. Um, the world is still here. Uh, it's, <laughs> somehow. It's, somehow, it, you know, it spirals in one direction on one week, spirals in another direction the next week, and yet still here we are trudging forward through through the uh through the cosmos but yeah all's good on the west coast uh bright and early this morning at 6 38 so i figured yeah this, what, what a great day to uh do our revisit our podcast yeah and uh we are going to dig deep into a movie that is a little bit long overdue one of brad's favorites that's fair to say right it's, oh it's, absolutely yeah. favorite and <clears throat> so yeah that's the lost boys from 1987 and going into this, what we're going to we're going to have a little pre-discussion discussion, but just just wanted to talk briefly about Lost Boys. I going into it, I've always really liked this movie. There was a point in, in time where I hadn't seen it in a while. Uh, I have a story about that later, but um, but I've watched it a bunch over the last few years and the cult classics program that we used to have here locally which is unfortunately dead now uh this was one of the this was one of the movies that was on there so i got to enjoy it on the on the big screen again and when i when i go into these where we do the real deep reviews i take notes and um i i try to look at the movies a little bit more in, in a little bit different way which is helpful because for things that i've seen a bunch of times like the thing is a good example the when we did the thing that was the first time I'd, i had ever actually thought to try and figure out okay who was the first person infected and i made right. like my little flow chart and everything so yeah so I yeah. Try and, <laughs> yeah i try and look at them a little differently so with this one i was like okay i like this movie let me look at it with a little bit more critical eye and i think i came away liking this movie more so we're, we're we'll get into that but i wanted to have a quick discussion first and apologies for the length of time in between um episodes for listeners because we had we had a little bit of a delay where one that we had recorded didn't get put out for a couple months because the network was was dividing all the shows up and more on that hopefully you'll be able to get this podcast and and the other ones that i do individually on different things like stitcher and things like that i'm, I'm gonna work on that uh with the network but anyway apologies for the length we and then summer was crazy and then in september i had a crazy <laughs> series of weeks where i <laughs> left one job went to another job was only there two weeks and got another job so <laughs> so i i Incredible. had a of, yeah so um but it was one of those things where Taking that next one to, you know, to move out of what I was doing was a big jump for me. And then I couldn't turn down the other one because it was an even bigger jump and it's going back to using my journalism roots and everything. So so I kind of had to. But it was just a it was definitely a weird stretch. So but now we're back. (laughs) We are back on track. This was supposed to be our October show, but um, that's okay. That's okay, because we are here. But I wanted to talk. We don't have to get too deep into it, but I wanted to talk about the new Dune. Oh, yes. So I finally watched it on Thursday. I, it, had, it had been a little while. I hadn't been able to, to get a chance because 
two and a half hour movie. So yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a commitment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> most Frank get... Herbert things, even like the stuff that's on sci-fi, like the, uh, the TV series that they had done back along, those are commitments as well. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So finally got the chance to see it. I, I wonder if it suffered from, cause I had several friends that have seen it three, four times now already. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if the hyping heard it for me. I, I, I liked it. But it wasn't the I think it wasn't the slam dunk I was expecting based on what people were telling me. I felt like the I felt like the first hour and a half was incredibly slow. I feel like and and so I watched it with my wife and and younger son who's 15. I feel like. It reminded me very much of Game of Thrones when you would watch Game of Thrones and then you would have to go to the Internet and get like a, a helpful primer. I think if you've never read the book, I've read the book. And I'd obviously seen the original David Lynch movie. So that was helpful to me because I knew the world. But I think going in without knowing any of that is is difficult and it's a lot to ask. So overall, I I thought it was very good, visually phenomenal. The acting I thought was quite good, really good cast. And I understand it's setting things up and the second part's going to be, you know, we're we're off and running. But and overall, like I'd probably give it like an eight out of ten. I mean, it was still still very. Very enjoyable. But the thing for me with a movie, even a long movie, my barometer for that is, do I want to go back and watch it again? And I don't really have the desire to watch this again. I'll probably watch it again when the next one comes out. It's like 2023 for the next one. I, I think. think so. Yeah, that's when it's slated. So I'll revisit it then. But for right now, yeah. I'm good. So but what were what were your thoughts on it? I I, I enjoyed it. I'm um, the first time. It's you're taking a lot in when I, I've seen it twice so far. So the first time seeing it, you're you have, you know, the expectations of basically trying not to base it off of what you've seen in, in the previous. Film. Obviously, the book is the, is the standard, but obvious. But when you're watching a film, you're, you're you, you try to see the parallels between both. But at the same point, you want to see some slight nuance differences, which I think were achieved at various points. Um but I do agree with you on the, you know, I think the casting was, was excellent. I think they got the characters right for a modern reinterpretation of the film. And as like, we've always talked about in any of the films that we've um, reviewed soundtrack uh, and soundscaping is, is critical to carrying the plot forward. And oftentimes a movie can get lost if the music isn't right. But I think like you said, that first hour was a bit of a haul. It's a, it's a, it's a long, a long, not quite a barren stretch, but it is, quite a stretch to, you know, to get through, um, understanding the universe that's being set up and, and whatnot. But, you know, the, the music definitely complemented, um, this film really well. Um, and I've actually seen some criticism of the soundtrack choices and the, you know, the, the interlude pieces from people like, well, it's too Middle Eastern. Well, it is a desert planet and yes, it's not the Middle East, but yet you have like the Fremen who are kind of a Bedouin indigenous tribe. So yeah, you have to, I think the person was ignorant. They didn't probably understand. You can't have a, like st- st- you know st- screaming guitars in a <laughs> desert scene right. when you know people are trotting through a sandstorm. It doesn't work like that. But I think you know the pacing of of the film overall was you know it had its spurts, which was good, and the action sequences when they when they did occur were were really well done. I think the the, the sets they built for it were really well done, and the cinematography certainly, you know, it had to be on par for a film of this magnitude. It and I probably will I probably won't see it again until, like you said, closer to the release of the next the next book, the next film. 
But uh, um, it is, yeah, it is, it is something uh, a film that I, w- I was glad they redid it, and kind of he put his own spin here and there. And I think the cast members brought out, you know, quite a bit from more from the characters. There's a lot of criticism for people who don't understand the the the, the uh, Lynch release as being a more artistic kind of. You know, I have friends who've seen it more recently. Like, I don't understand what I'm watching. Is this like some sort of space rock opera weird thing? <laughs> and it is. It's 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 very weird. I mean, it's it's it's, it's almost Lynch. like it's David Lynch. I mean, so if they, they don't understand David Lynch, they they're not going to quite understand how the the film is is put together and fits really well. But um, this one was more uh, the the latest release here in 21 was a more of a you know, grand, grandiose scale, like the, 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 the technology finally is there to really capture, you know, those desert, those desert scapes and ships flying at low levels and ones in the atmosphere and just planetary views. So yeah, I think it's good. Um, and I would recommend it, but to see it more than twice in a short period of time, that's, that's a lot of time that you're giving that you're probably not going to get back if you have some doubts about the overall, you know, experience, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I'd say eight, eight out of 10 is probably a fair, maybe seven and a half out of 10 <laughs> based on the pacing. But yeah. yeah, I think, I think we, we can agree that it was a, a good release and, and probably a proper time for it in, in the universe of Frank Herbert. Yeah. And I think you bring up a great point about the, the music. So you, you're, this is a sci-fi movie set on a different planet you you need those audio and visual clues and cues Mm. so the middle eastern music is like that that's what we have here so you uh, for when you think of like desert environments and you know middle east or africa or whatever so those musical cues help place you yes we're, we're talking about a foreign planet but you need that relation to what we have here so definitely um, yeah, so so I think I think that's necessary. Um, yeah, no, I think we're I think we're on the same page. Seven seven point five eight. That sounds yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a very fair score, and and I'm anxious to see what they're going to do in 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 the second film because you know that they've set it up really well. I think they left it at a decent cliffhanger point. It wasn't it was a fairly tame spot where they where the film ended, but where it's going, obviously for anyone who knows, you know, the Lynch film and, and what the books what, what the books tell, um, we're in for hopefully more the the politics of everything is gonna un, is gonna unfold very quickly and very dramatically and, and we're we're gonna see some introduction of hopefully new characters that there's been a lot of speculation on that wasn't even introduced in the first film, which I think is you know, a really well done point, but it's going to be interesting to see what 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 happens and what new people and what new faces they'll bring into the the cast to take uh, the storyline forward. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, all right. Just wanted to have a little discussion of Dune. <laughs> um, but now we will get into the Lost Boys, 1987, and one of the things that I want to say right up front is that this was directed by Joel Schumacher. He gets a lot of shit for, quote unquote, ruining the Batman franchise Mm. with his um, – did he do the last two? I know he did. Yes, he did. He did Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. I couldn't remember if he did both. Okay, so I got my Wikipedia here. So – and I get the the negativity around those films, 
he, I think, was going for, and we don't need to get into the whole <laughs> Batman thing, but I think he was going for a certain comic book aesthetic that was a bit over the top for what had been established as a very dark and gritty series with the first two Michael Keaton right. uh, um, episodes of that film series. So so I, I, I think it was a misstep, and I, I think, you know, they're not – I don't hate those movies either. I've seen them a, a couple times each and sure. some in the theater. Yeah, there's, there's some fun stuff in there. So going back and watching Lost Boys, which predates those, you can see he is a very capable filmmaker. This movie, Lost Boys, has a ton of great shots, like from a cinematography uh, perspective. It's yeah. got great pacing. It's got uh, a strong, a very simple but strong narrative. Um and I think overall is a is a very nice looking film like this is a there's some great shots and um, really uses the California coast and that yes. um, that aesthetic and that vibe really well. So, yeah, I think I think Schumacher this proves and I'm, I'm trying to think of what else he's done because I feel like he did some other things that were. Yeah. St. Elmo's Fire. That was that's a very. Yeah, that's that's a movie. Right. So. Yeah, um, he can make good movies. So I think I think the Batman ones were just a little bit of a misstep, and who knows how much of that was. Yeah, Batman, it, it, it almost seemed like, Warner like Brothers. you said, to your point about the comic book side of it, that he, or or the cartoonish version, that he was more, he was taking the big screen version of what the Batman TV series was, and kind of just upgrading it a little bit. But you know, I, I mean, the acting I think was was decent in in those films, and um plot yes but it was it definitely had more goofiness aspects of it which which definitely stepped away from you know what i think people were expecting at large to come you know and then obviously what we know has evolved in those films as you know been really dark storylines and you know ultra violence versus kind of comedic violence and and whatnot yeah and i mean he definitely was embracing the campiness of the of the show because there's things like the back credit card and yeah just dumb dumb stuff like that yeah. so, <laughs> but but lost boys is i i think a very it's got <clears throat> i i think some people label it horror comedy and there's definitely mm-hmm. meaningful attempts at comedy sometimes there's comedy that's not on purpose in some of these movies but this is definitely you know stuff where it's it's meant to be so so i think it opens with a great tone we get our first um cry little sister um the great um theme from uh was it gerard mccann that um i think that's who it is um yes. great and and it it will play it'll come up multiple times throughout the movie but we get that first intro of it with mm-hmm. the it's got kind of the children's chorus to it so it's got a little bit of a that that sounds a little ominous and then just the the synth and the drum work in it it's it has a very ominous tone sets it up right away sets the movie up during right. the credits um so uh i i like that song quite a bit and i think it i mean it was i'm pretty sure it was made for this movie so i mean it's yeah i it's, think so yeah There's yeah that you know, seems i think a bunch of songs were obviously either redone or made specifically for this film which which is unusual because nowadays a lot of songs are either just already out in the marketplace and then put into a film to complement Whereas in the 80s, it seems there were a lot of songs were actually constructed and, and developed to suit uh, the the film or the action in the film or be the theme of a film. Yeah. 
yeah so um yeah i mean this uh, this the song obviously created for the movie so it ties it to it sometimes that happens with a song that's just used in a movie um right. like you know um you're in, in your eyes by peter gabriel tied to say anything and you right. know stuff like that so th- but this was created for it so obviously it ties to it but yeah i i like the song a lot so it sets the tone early and then we see very early on we see uh pretty much right away Kiefer sutherland and his crew um <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> making their way through the boardwalk and kind of a cool scene done a little bit in slow-mo yeah. Um, they're on a carousel kind of walking through the other people. Um, the other people aren't noticing them. That's what's weird. They've, you've got people riding the horses on the carousel right. and everything. And, and these, this group of guys is walking between them and nobody's really acknowledging them, which is kind of weird. They're kind of, it, it gives them a little bit of an ethereal vibe that, because we don't, there's no actual reveal that these are vampires no. until pretty and, and, late. It's- it's funny you say that. The good point because they they are definitely slightly older than the average people that are riding the carousel horses, yeah. um, and they're dressed way differently than anybody on the carousel. So yeah, it was like you said, no reveal, but you can definitely tell there's something about this crew that's going to be a little different. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it sets them up right away, and we see the cop or security guard, whoever it is, for the uh, for the. Um, Playland or whatever the word is for for this um this boardwalk uh, area, which has tons of roller coasters and stuff, it looks like essentially a fair, you know. So yeah, like, a, like a um, huge amusement park on the edge of a uh, yeah. Was, and we yeah. and that and there is you know one up that way up in Santa Cruz where they filmed it, you know, uh, turned into Santa Carla. But they also here in Pacific Beach we have a very small amusement park, similar in scope, but it's got one of the oldest West Coast. Um, roller coasters it's an old wooden one here so it's at night it has a very we here in pacific beach have a very you know vibe that almost kind of mimics what was going on up in santa cruz santa carla for that for the film yeah that's cool uh, here in new hampshire at canopy lake park they have one of the oldest roller wooden roller coasters too so nice um yeah so sets the stage early then we see the security guard kick them out um soon after we get a, a very cool overhead shot which today would be done with like drones and stuff i don't know how they did this i i i don't know if it could have been done with a crane or how this one was maybe on wires or something but it's a very cool yes. overhead shot yeah of him in the parking the lot park running of, yeah. away yeah and it's um so we see something happens to him it's not quite clear but he's obviously being chased by something in the sky and taken away um so a very, very cool early shot. And it, it establishes a theme, too, that I'll, I'll come to here in a little bit that I noticed for the first time. Um, then we get our introduction to our main family, which is um, Corey Haim. Uh, probably, what's he in this, 13, 14, maybe? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, Jason Patrick, who's playing like probably 17 or so, but he's right. in his 20s. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, it's funny because I think they – they were they were a little older than what the actual roles were, which is fine because it, it worked yeah. out perfectly. But yeah, they 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 played their age roles quite well. Yeah, uh, and also the mom, um, Diane Weist, she I feel like she's super underrated overall. I think she's a great actress, and and um, she she brings a lot of um, reality and kind of a grounded. Um, performance to a lot of stuff that she does and it's so weird too because like obviously we saw this as kids and i saw this a bunch of times when it came out remember watching it on vhs or whatever and it's that thing where when you're that age you're identifying with the kids whereas now 
I, as an adult, I identify with the, the adult. Right, with the parents, the parents and the, the decisions that they make. Yeah. So I think Diane Weist is great in this. I think she's um I think she's really good and gives a a a pretty a pretty spot on and accurate performance for, for like the yeah. situations. Yeah, agreed. As as a parent coming into this, she, you know, clearly recently out of a divorce and taken the boys to a new location to get a fresh start. Um, she plays, yeah, in this, you know, I think her throughout the entire film, she's a doting parent, but very unaware of what's really going on. And I think they they portrayed that super well um, because she makes attempts to find out, you know, changes in personalities, the why her boys are acting the way they are throughout the film. And obviously, we we learn later on when she finally understands what what what's actually going on. It you know, it kind of crashes that reality of that innocence of a parent who's just trying to help her boys get through so right right so then we get an introduction to santa carla itself with uh the cover of people are strange interesting too because this i didn't realize this was echo and the bunnymen doing the uh cover yeah yeah a lot of times when you get a cover in a movie it's just some random group that you've never heard of but it's interesting that it's and you know actually someone established in Echo and the Bunnymen doing a cover of a Doors song. But um, but that scene really lays the groundwork because obviously people are strange. It's that entire song has a theme right. to it. And it shows you a lot of the, the people around the boardwalk in Santa Carla. You see a lot of punkers and goths um, and yeah. Yeah. All, a, a big mix of people. And it sets the mood, but also interspersed during this musical like montage are all the missing posters so it it sets that tone as well showing you okay there's something's up here there's a lot of there's a lot of people that go missing here and of course we just saw the security guard get taken away so so it sets up that unease yeah the visual cues early on certainly and then obviously once they pass you know welcome to santa carla and then on the backside it's spray painted murder capital of the world Right. And the largest possible letters. And then that, you know, that theme comes back a couple of times early on in the film um, and definitely lays some of the groundwork that something something is off here, but no one quite knows what. Yeah. And that's that goes into what I was saying about how I feel like com- um, Shoemaker is really competent in this film because that's a very it's it's could be. Even it could be over the top with how he's right. presenting it, but it's it's more it's told through the lyrics of the song and the visuals. Right. With, you know, it's the show don't tell. It's um he's he's giving you information in a in an entertaining way, um, but that's also you know giving you a, a vibe. And I, yeah, I, I I feel like that does a nice job there. Um, so then we um, we get our introduction to Grandpa, played by Barnard Hughes. Very, and again, this is this goes into the to the filmmaking and the storytelling and the script. You understand who Grandpa is immediately, like you yeah. get his character. Super quirky. Yeah. Uh, everything about the household, you know, him being a taxidermist and just kind of living just outside of town, slightly off grid, you know, kind of removed, you know, wife has been dead for a number. I think they mentioned what, seven or eight years. Yeah. So he's you know, been living a solitary life in existence, um, but definitely is 
has a, a, an awareness that obviously he lets on at various points throughout the film and more so towards the end when you when you understand you know what role he ultimately ultimately plays but yeah he's his uh he, he's funny he's he's humorous and he's got like the different parts of the house are just you know and they, the the boys you know um sam and michael make the reference you know the, to the texas chainsaw massacre because everything in the house in the household is animal heads mounted and <laughs> right. horns and just weird placement of so it's 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 a weird environment for i think two young boys and a mom to be moving into but obviously they've got no other no other option as well so that's why it made sense for them to join with with grandpa at his place yeah so then we uh we see that sam and michael are exploring the boardwalk and kind of this the nightlife and we get the uh the legendary oiled up sax man himself <laughs> tim capello um it's funny how that has become like a meme or a, you know what I mean? A, a thing. An iconic meme totally yeah. has. Yeah, it really is, which is funny too. And it's so obvious during the film that he's lip syncing as well. Like it's yeah. pain, painfully obvious, well, but it's a to, cool. Yeah. To your point about that, like he, and it, well, to the meme side of it, the memes that actually appear in that, but then I think Saturday Night Live has done a funny thing about that. Yeah. And then he appeared in one of the later, um, additions to the lost boy series i think not looking the exact same because his body's not as built up as it used to be from right. you know 30 years ago <laughs> yeah um so it's a good again a good intro to the nightlife and um we see star for the first time jamie gertz and instant infatuation from from michael for her um to the point where he like tries to chase her down right um during this we also get uh our introduction to max who owns the um, the VHS rental store? And I can never remember this guy's name. Who plays uh, Max? Edward Herman. Edward Herman, yeah. I feel like he's been in a ton of stuff, but um, he's just one of those guys that he's a character actor. You know, looks like looks like he's been in a hundred movies. So and he's, a, and he's a big tall guy too. So that yeah. you know, kind of a hulking figure, which was ca- kind of funny to see a businessman in a very 80s. He, I mean, his dress attire and that entire um uh vhs store it has almost like a miami vice vibe the way he's dressed yeah. the, the kind of like the sunny crockett outfit for a very tall lankish guy yeah yeah so we get our introduction to him as um diane weiss that's uh, lucy is the mom and she's looking for work and they have a good interaction there where which kind of sets them up as um you know he's definitely interested in her and she needs a job and we also see Kiefer Sutherland as David and, and his crew come through and Max kicks them out, says, he, you know, he told you not to not not to come in here. So, again, at this point, watching for the first time, you don't know that there's any connection to them. So it, it right. looks like he's just another antagonist of, you know, right. there um, with them and, and um, you know, somebody else that's there causing problems with. Yeah. We also get another introduction to another store and cast characters on the boardwalk and that is the comic book store and the frog brothers so this is our uh our um the second of our two Corys. we obviously have cory Haim as sam and um cory feldman as edgar frog and then jameson newlander i don't know if this guy did much else but he plays alan frog it doesn't look like he did much else he's pretty good in this 
He's he's excellent, and uh, yeah, and the most the most stuff that I've actually seen him in has been more so like Comic Con or Lost Boy Con type yeah. things or gatherings. So he's more of a like a circuit rider. But I think yeah, he's he did. I think this film did really well for him, um, being that I think there were there are a handful of actors in this film that whose careers didn't seem to you know launch, but more jettisoned yeah. off in a different direction, which is unfortunate because this film was, has its iconic you know, place in cinematic history for fans and busts of vampires and, 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 and good, good, uh, good storylines. Yeah. Um, so we get the frog brothers. They, they seem to run this comic book shop. There's a weird recurring thing that's done subtly with their parents who are, (laughs) look like just nodded out hippies in the background. Stoned out hippies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You see them, I think twice and both times they're just passed out on top of each other in the background. So, so it looks like these brothers as as weird as they are, looks like they run the comic shop and um, it's fun to see like all the, the actual nerdy comic book embraced uh, culture in the movie well before, you know, now obviously comic books are mainstream, but, um, but you've got, you know, you've got Sam saying, oh, you can't put these Supermans here. You know, (laughs) red kryptonite hasn't been discovered. So very, (laughs) very nerdy and just cool to see all those old books on the shelf. Um, And they try and give him a vampire comic as sort of a primer because, you know, these guys know what's going on, but he's, he, he's not interested. Now we see, that star is connected to David. They, you know, whether dating or, or on again, off again, whatever it is, but the, we right. see that um, that they have a connection. We also see this was, I don't know if I noticed this on previous viewings, because again, I try and pay better attention on this, but so the punk guy that David has a brief altercation with at the very start of the movie, um, right. who gets, they get kicked out. He's like, he's like hitting on this guy's girl. And there's this punker. Mm-hmm. It's funny because he's, you know, probably supposed to be like a teenage punker. And this guy looks like he's 40. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got like, he's got like black spiky hair, with like white in the front. Um, He shows up again with his group and they steal some comic books from the comic book store and they take off running. Right. Um, then you see that he and his girlfriend are, you see them reading the comic books mm-hmm. in the car. And then they're the next victims of the, of the vampire attack. We see the, you know, the top of the car get ripped off and they get, they get taken away. So um, it's kind of interesting that at that point, I noticed again for the first time, you've got two people now or three that have had altercations with David and his crew who then become right. the victims. <laughs> so they're, they're telling you in a subtle way, who's doing this we already right. know something's a little off with them but so i had never noticed that before that it's like oh the security guard david and right. his had a run-in and then this punk and then they're right. the two that we the like literally anyone who they have altercations across paths with that causes them a problem they take care of the issue very quickly <laughs> and it's almost like they're maybe starting trouble to have justification sure you know, that way they're not, it's not like, oh, this, you know, this is just an innocent person that we're feeding on or whatever. It's like, oh, no, this, you know, we had a, we had a run in with this guy or whatever. So I, I found that very interesting because I had never noticed that before. We also see that Michael now is uh, the older one, Jason Patrick. He's trying to fit in. He buys himself a leather jacket. He's, he's looking to get his ears, his ear pierced. Um, and that's where he has his first actual interaction with Star. So, so we can see that. Sam's kind of found his niche with the comic book store and now and Michael's kind of 
trying to find where he can fit in locally with this scene. So he buys himself the jacket and stuff. Right. Then we get again, we see Star get on. I think this is the part where she's going to go get something to eat with Michael. And right. um, and then David comes along and we have this um the this ride, this really cool motorbike ride through like the desert and the woods and the cliffs and stuff like that. Um, and uh, it's a cool sequence. It's again, it's an it's the the way it's shot is good. It, it's believable. Right. It looks it yeah. looks good. Like a lot of these sometimes it's like, oh, you know, this doesn't look like what it's supposed to represent. But I, I feel like this shot and the way you see the bikes then, you know, kicking up dust and going through these. um Going through know, the bonfires on the beach yeah. and under, under the pier and the fog. Yeah, I mean, the, the the environment and was kind of awesome how they created that because, you know, like suddenly now you're, you're the pace of the film. And, and we said this earlier, the pace of this film is just perfect all throughout. There's no dead spots where you feel like, oh, God, it's lagging. Yeah. And it's at this point, when, you know, when, you know, when uh, he they have the I think the interaction is, you know, where Hudson Hudson's bluff is overlooking the point. I can't beat your bike. Well, you don't have to beat my bike, Michael. You just have to try and keep up. So the, he's antagonizing him stars on the back of the bike. And, you know, at this point, this is where everything is going to start to go uphill and then sideways very fast <laughs> right and i i actually it's a subtle almost throwaway line but i really like that he says he can't beat his bike because right. it's not he's he wants to fit in and he wants to belong but he's right. not he also knows his limitations he's like he's right. like yeah he's like i your bike's faster than mine it's not so i i it's a real like i said it's a real subtle simple thing but i really right. like that because it it shows that he's like he's he's realistic about what's going on he sees you know this is a group of uh, you know uh, a bunch of dudes that if they turn on him he's gonna have a hard time he's gonna have a hard time yeah so we get that great um that great bike ride scene and obviously michael almost goes over the cliff and that starts a, a fight and uh the it's obviously david testing him and i think he respects that uh, Michael's first instinct when when he sees what's happened is to right. is to get up and run over and just punch him in the punch mouth. Him. Yeah. So I think he respects that because it's it's a you know that kind of feral and violent response. Right. I think gives David the um you know the inclination to to say okay this guy can hang right. with us. Right. So um so then we get the introduction into the um David's crew. They don't really have a name. I mean I know the movie's The Lost Boys, but um they don't ever and maybe that's a good thing too. Maybe it's good they don't give them like a, a you know a cheesy gang name or anything gang, like Right. Right. No, I be, think that's yeah, because mo- like in today's time you've got like the Hellriders or whatever depending on what branch they are in the country. I think it's just kind of neat. It's a small enclave of unusual looking uh guys on dirt bikes roaming yeah. the boardwalk roaming the beach roaming the local community you know no helmets no regard for safety for obvious <laughs> right. reasons because they look so goddamn good on those <laughs> on those motorcycles right. i mean we, we haven't really touched on their clothing yet but i mean just their their outfits i mean the 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 the, the costume design for this film largely across the board is, is phenomenal you you've got the conservative parents you've got the you know um you know, Corey Haim's outfit is very much, you know, they and that's made reference to him dressing kind of funny because he's a lot of colorful, pastel, very 
you know, con- big white weird. Converse sneakers, and then you've got the you know the the motorcycle gang who are just tripped out in the leathers and uh, old school naval woolen jackets, yeah. long hair. I mean, they, yeah, they just embody this this hipness, this coolness, which I think is a direction they did a really good job in this film because typically you 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 see ominous characters that end up learning or you know becoming vampires are just you know dressed in all black and just don't have they look like a a typical historical vampire that you would expect this biker gang clearly hip they're in the mode they've got the right outfit and the right look to just be this kind of extreme coolness about them yeah yeah for sure and i think you touched on something there that again it goes back to how I think Schumacher does a great job. A lesser director and storyteller would have been way over the top where like Michael would have seen David's crew and, you know, talking to a local, like a shop owner or something and been been like, been like, Oh, who are those dudes? And, and then a a lesser filmmaker would have had, you know, this throwaway character say something like, Oh, that's the lost boys. You want to steer clear of them. Right. But but it doesn't it doesn't go for that the cheesy and that could have been yeah that could have been easily put in there yeah him like you know what's up with the guys on the motorcycles on the boardwalk yeah a normal person like why are they allowed motorcycles on the boardwalk <laughs> right. you know first off that would be the first question well yeah those guys you want to stay you want to stay away from them they're 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 a tough crew tough crew yeah. so yeah that like you said the subtlety of everything that's been done in the film to this point before they before they get to Hudson's Bluff. Um, you just know that this is a, a rough crowd that it's the showing, not telling necessarily right. yep. through, a, through a dialogue piece. Yeah. Uh, so then we get the intro to David's cruise, um, hideout with a cool story about, oh, this was a resort back in the turn of the century and it fell into a fault. And so it gives them. It gives them it does a couple things. It gives them a cool place to hang out, which has its own kind of neat aesthetic to it and a story behind it. But it right. also ties them because we don't know how long David or any of his crew have been around hundreds of right. years. We Maybe they've traveled all over the place. But that tie back to an old turn of the century structure that they now right. call home, I think, is another neat, subtle thing that's done. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a cool it's cool. Um so we get that, um, and then we also get to see <laughs> – we go back to Corey Haim, who – we talked a little bit about his outfits. He has some straight – there's one scene where he's at breakfast, and it almost looks like he's in a onesie. It's a, it's just bizarre. Some of Yeah, the no, I know. For his, him. It's, I think you know, for his character, because he's more of the brighter, younger element in the film, Yeah. I think that they purposely – well, I, I think it seems like they, they clad him in – lighter brighter clothing whereas obviously the frog brothers are dressed in military military green olive drab camouflage michael goes from his you know teenager clothing to kind of wearing more darker clothing which kind of fits the tempo of the group of the bike gang that he's kind of merging into you know so yeah that's a good point I i think the his the different scenes it's it's very 80s you know uh his his attire and i think it definitely matches kind of what his representation role in the film is being uh you know he's one of the good guys right right and we we get a look at his room seeing things like um he's got he's got a molly ringwald poster all right that's very 
topical and you know of the times there's a yes. you know there's like a scantily clad girl on a you know on a corvette and there's like a corvette poster but then he has this bizarre like sexy rob Lowe picture yeah super uh, sexy poster, rob Lowe. <laughs> which is bizarre but then you know i and again this is not something i noticed watching early on but as an adult you do there's a lot of homoerotic tones in this movie a lot um and i think that's i think that poster is another part of it it's it's uh you know the whether the vampires are and fitting in are an allegory for you know a young mm-hmm. teenager coming out or whatever it is there's a lot of that in this movie right um so um then we cut back to dave michael you know back at the hideout with them and we get the first glimpse that that David has some sort of otherworldly powers. He he turns the the Chinese food, the rice, into maggots right. um, and um, and worms. So you know whether it's hypnotic suggestion or whatever it is that he's doing, he's he's exerting some influence over over Michael's brain. Right. Here. So um um so we get a little glimpse of that, and then you know the the blood wine um sequence where and and star tells him straight up she's like right. that's blood don't drink it don't drink of course it, he yeah. doesn't believe because he's just been tricked to you know with the the maggots and the and the worms um so uh then you get cry little sister again comes in but a different part of it that's interesting too they use right. it's used in multiple points in the movie but mm-hmm. different parts of the song um and you get this montage of michael he's one of them now he's there right. They're kind of dancing around in their hideout and having, you know, just just kind of going crazy. And he's he's been accepted. So that leads into one of the I think one of the coolest scenes in the movie. And that's the railroad trestle scene. Mm, iconic where, scene. <laughs> yeah. Where they they go out and it's this old. It's the atmosphere is great. It's obviously nighttime. There's fog everywhere, especially under this trestle. You have no idea how high off the ground this railroad trestle is. Right. And and they all just one by one drop off into the fog below. Um, and it's really cool. Like visually it's very cool when they drop, when they drop. And, um, and then finally he looks, he can hear them down there. Michael's the last one standing. He doesn't trust anything yet. He doesn't know what's happening, but he can hear them. So, and then he climbs down and they hang from the trestle as a train goes by and just rattles the shit out of this this trestle and they have to hang on and it's a super intense scene and it's it's really well done because again they're the the vampires are all they're having the great the greatest time michael's scared because he doesn't know what's going on and they all start to drop one by one and again he can hear them so Deep, uh, deep down in the fog. I mean, it sounds like yeah. it, from where he's hanging at the at the base of the trestle to where they are. It sounds like it's of it sounds like a long distance. And I think that, like you said, because the, the fog is just this bank that's just hanging beneath the trestle. You have no idea how high up they are in the air. And but the distance of their voices, Michael, and they're yelling to him. And then you hear David's right. voice, the the dark Mike. It just kind of, you know, kind of willing him to come down into the fog and you know You're they all us. willingly dropped he yep. basically his arms gave out and that was i think kind of a neat thing you know showing it shows two things because you know obviously the the blood indoctrination of him consuming the blood and becoming a vampire was kind of a non-traditional way because typically vampires we know in the past you get bitten or you start to get ill this took a, a really kind of more, I think, artistic approach, consuming the blood of a vampire and mass having it take over your body. And then 
him losing his physical strength, I think was a, I saw it as kind of like a slight analogy or metaphor rather to him losing his humanity to a degree because he's holding on strength. And, you know, we all know when you, when you become a vampire, you, you lust after blood and you lust after the pulse of, of humanity where he's dangling there and you see him trying to struggle and he tries to pull himself up and he, his arms are not capable of pulling his body and he falls into the fog. Yeah, which is interesting because it. But we learn later that he's not full vampire, but he doesn't have right. enhanced strength or anything. So yes, it's not like that's a, a plot hole or anything. It's he's he's not a full fledged vampire yet because right. he hasn't made his first kill, which Correct. we find later. Yeah, I I think that railroad scene is um I think it's fantastic. I think you said iconic, and I I think it really is. It um very atmospheric, and again, just I I know I'm you know giving Shoemaker a shine here this whole time, but he. He, this is another really well-crafted scene. Um, so we do when when Michael finally drops, we see him kind of float and fall for a while, and then back into his bed. Um, and uh, that takes us to the first time where he's actually physically hungering and thirsting for blood. And right. and Sam is the nearest potential victim who's having a right. bath again very like you said they they kind of age him down it's like like i don't it's just a biz, the whole thing's bizarre with him having a bath and the dogs and yeah yeah it's, right now it's, it's weird him it's doing weird. like the bubble like it's a bubble bath like i don't know i don't know any <laughs> yeah. guys that have done bubble baths you know may, unless yeah, they're after, with their girlfriend or something but yeah <laughs> right after age like 10 or something yes <laughs> um we see we also see you know michael so the dog, the dog saved Ninook, who I'm not sure if Ninook is a Malamute or a Husky. Sometimes when they, they, they can look similar. So I'm, I'm not sure. Similar, yeah. Either way, he's a beautiful dog. And he, um, he protects Sam who's in the tub as, as Michael's trying to come in and actually bites Michael. And this is the first time where Sam knows something is off because, um, sees that Michael, his reflection in the mirror is going away. And then of course we see him floating to the ceiling right um later and later um on, yeah. yeah and and outside the window um you know and that sparks the call to um to the mom you know about about stuff being weird and there's yeah. a very bizarre reference in here too that now now is so far out of date but even in 87 the flying nun reference felt so out of date yeah Cause, right cause, um, especially not only out of date but for him right a how kid, did he know to be making yeah. that like uh, there's there could have been a million other references he could have made but the flying nun was very strange <laughs> and it's funny you mention that because yeah that always sticks out watches like why would he said that of all yeah. possible references so that that show went from for, for those that don't know the flying nun was a tv show yeah. uh, a sitcom um i guess it was based on a book i didn't realize that but it <laughs> um it run it ran for three seasons and so 1967 to 1970 so so yeah. you're almost you're 20 years from the start of that i mean right. who knows maybe it's on in syndication or whatever sally field was <laughs> right. was the main character which is interesting right. but anyway yeah it just felt like a very bizarre reference like that because, was written yeah. by an older person by in an a older. script rather than something a teenager would say because they do make a lot of references in the movie um and like later on, like there's a Twisted Sister reference. So there's a lot of 80s references. I'm yeah. surprised that they didn't make a reference at that point um, 
to something more culturally relevant because the film yeah. is just cultural relevance at every every something. possible term. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, then we also get the cool, another cool reveal where we see Laddie on the the, the young yes. kid who we hadn't talked about. But Laddie, um, Star is, I don't think they're brother sister, but I think she's taking care of him because he's been right. another victim of David's crew so, and has, you know, been adopted into them. He's he's probably like nine or ten. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So we see him on the back of a milk carton. So, again, just more more clues more about what's yeah. going on. Yeah. And then we get kind of a curveball where we think Max is the next victim because we see yeah. at his house there's, you know, the wind picks up and there's all this ominous stuff going on. And it ties into those <laughs> clues that they gave us before about security guard, you know, was right. uh, up against David's crew. The, the punker guy was up against David's right. crew. Max, you know, kicked him out of the shop. So right. he's they have a beef with him. So we're led to believe that Max is the next victim, which right. is um, which is interesting because, yeah, the, the they there's a vampire or a bat flag uh, flag a kite, kite that yes. is just wrapped at the front of his gate, which another's like it was almost like a calling card. Like, uh oh, you think he's he's going to be next. And then the noises happen in the motos and whatnot. So you think, yeah, absolutely. He's going to be the next person to be taken out of the film. Um, then we get a, uh, love scene between Michael and star. We get cry little sister again, which is a different, again, a different part of the song is played here. So we get that, that bonding of star and Michael on uh, the consummation of their attraction. Um, and we also find out that Michael's hand is healed from where he was bit by Nanook. Uh, right. so no, we, we know now that he's, you know, he's starting to get more of his powers. Um, and then, we see the scene where the, through this whole thing, too, it's been a it's looked like uh, Sam is trying to sabotage the budding relationship between his mom and Max. So because um, the phone call came when they were out to dinner and she had to run off. So they go to Max's house to I think she's leaving flowers or whatever. Yeah. And uh, Max's dog, Thorn, uh, attacks her and chases her away. Um so again, we we get, and that dog hadn't shown any aggression. It'd be, it'd been a, no. like, I think he was even in the shop earlier too. Yeah, and, and, she, and he was very friendly at that point. So yeah, that was another curveball. Yeah. Yeah, and a subtle subtle clue too that this dog's protecting something. So then we get the dinner scene, Grandpa's house where where the kids and mom are now living, where where Max is invited over, and specifically the vampire. You know, lore. Sure. He has to be invited in. Right. He even asks. Yeah, he asks Michael. You know, you know, man of the house. Can you, you yeah. know, invite me in? Which he does, which is really cool. And here's here's the thing. <laughs> so this dinner scene, uh, where they put a ton of garlic on the on the pasta, to right. you know, t- typical vampire thing. They're trying to see if vampire uh, if uh, garlic will will affect Max because they believe he's the he's a vampire at this right. point. So, um. <laughs> I so I watched this movie when it came out, rented it, probably saw it two, three, four times, you know, sometime from 87 to 90. I I probably hadn't seen it for probably a good eight to 10 years uh, when I wrote my first book. And I I had forgotten about this scene, but it apparently didn't leave my brain because I pretty much stole it. (laughs) 
<laughs> and put it in my first in my first book where there's there's a there is a, a feast at this castle and they have what they think is a vampire there and the and the main character crushes up some garlic and puts it in some ale so subconsciously that must have stuck <laughs> with me and i absolutely ripped that off and then later nice. after the after my book that first book came out a few years later i watched this again and i was like holy shit i stole that i was like i didn't even <laughs> i didn't even remember that so um <laughs> But it's a good scene because it's again, it's a curveball. You see Max has a reflection. The garlic doesn't affect him. You know, they're all of these things that they're trying to do to prove that he's a vampire are failing. And and then Max says, oh, you know, I see what's happening. You don't want I'm not trying to replace your father. That type of thing. So it gives you that curveball when now you're like, oh, okay. Okay. They they were wrong. None of this stuff right. worked, okay. which we every seen test pre- they threw at them the you know not glowing, the garlic not having effect, the water, holy water supposedly that they had, you know acquired holy water throwing it on him. Yeah, every test failed and disproving exactly what we thought. Yeah, and then that leads us to David's pack hunting at this bonfire party mm. uh, out you know somewhere probably on the cliffs or the beaches or somewhere they're they're observing this group of um you know again looks like punkers uh enjoying you know uh, a night around a big bonfire and this is the first time that we actually see that david and and his boys have fangs and right. so we we see the fangs for the first time. The eyes are red. They're they're kind of their their face is very animalistic, which is yeah. I think the the prosthetics they used. There there hasn't been a, a a vampire film prior to that or after the Lost Boys that has captured the transformation of a vampire so well with the prosthetics they used on the faces is is incredible. And again, it's not overdone. It's, right. It's, it's they make them a little more angular and yep. more pronounced, but the red eyes and the fangs and stuff and and you know probably they're probably more pale too. I didn't really notice that, but um, it's again it's a subtle thing, but the the makeup is really really good. So so we see for the first time that they are truly vampires, and they're trying to get Michael to make his first kill, which he's reluctant to do. And something else I noticed on this viewing, the movie. <clears throat> hasn't shown us really any of the kills yet there's been no blood aside from my hand and then all of a sudden it just goes from zero to ten on the gory scale like when ultra violence scalp ripped off and yeah throats ripped out i mean it's it's not just a subtle attack it's it's an ultra violent attack and there's you know and the chaos because these and i think and you know to tie it in this this is the, the gang, um, again, that came back, these are the ones that were part of the gang on on the carousel in the beginning. Yes, this I was, think so. The, yeah, the gang that um, stole the comic books, obviously, they and these this is the, it, it's like the Lost Boys are cleaning up the last part yeah, of uh, yeah. the problem, which is kind of neat. So they're tying up a, an end with with this this kind of surf punk Nazi gang that are hanging out on on, on the beach at the bonfire. And yeah, the the scene and the squirting of the blood. I mean, they they did a super job to basically, like you said, take it from zero to a hundred in a very quick fashion. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good scene, and you and Michael resists. He's not he he's reluctant to make that kill. So he um, right. he he's not fully indoctrinated at that point. So Star then shows up back at their house um, to talk to Michael. And um, we get the scene where the Frog Brothers decide, you know, they've got to go on the offensive. It's time to um, 
to actually go into the lair during the day and look for the vampires. And that's a that's a, again a cool scene because we at this point we know that they're vampires, but we don't know what their process is, like where they right. are. Are they in coffins? And then right. it's really cool. We see that they're actually hanging upside down like bats, yes. which I don't know if anybody had ever done that in vampire lore before, but if not, it's a cool, it's a cool thing. Super cool because they basically, you know, the, the um, Edgar's, that's what this place is. One giant coffin. Cause it <laughs> right, smells right. like death bullets. And yep. what, what was it? Uh, um, flies and the undead go together like bullets and guns or vice versa. Yep. So yep. yeah, they, as they're entering that part of the cavern, I mean, they, they're clearly in a very much darker place because they, uh, uh, the, the team needs to use, you know, these kind of very strong headlamps and, and flashlights to get to a part of the cave um, where the coffin basically is one giant open space of them hanging upside down, which is just, it's creepy. It's eerie. I remember seeing that for the first time in the theater and was, and when, you know, Sam, uh, Hames' character Sam scree- screams out, and Corey Feldman's hand goes over his mouth. It's like you don't want to alert them. You know, you don't, <laughs> oh my God, there are these human being creatures hang upside down, and that was just a mind blowing experience at that at, at that moment. Yeah, and that's a um, it's a great visual too because and then again it ties back into their their clothing choices because yeah. there's a lot of trench coats and they're hanging down almost like I know bat, true bats wrap themselves with their wings, but it's almost like it gives that aesthetic with yeah. those trench coats hanging upside down and, you know, almost like wings. And yes. so it's a, it's another cool, subtle visual, but yeah, that's a very striking image when you see them, you know, hanging there. Um, so, um, and then, but the, the frog brothers are, again, they're very, proactive they decide they're just going to start staking these guys yeah they're, so, they they pull yeah i mean any a normal person is it's almost like they have a seat while it's not stated in the film because the, you don't really know the history that they have of hunting the undead or anything their their level of confidence for teenagers hunting vampires mythical creatures is pretty pretty goddamn spot on that they they, they, <laughs> right. they don't hold back at all i mean they literally climb right up the ladder get the light on take the stake out and then jam the first the first wooden stake right through the heart of um you know marco yes yeah played by uh, alex winter who was of course one of the uh uh two from uh bill and ted's excellent adventure yep. and all those movies so yeah we didn't really talk about the rest of the crew but yeah alex winter's in there um there's a guy named billy worth he's the dark-haired guy who's um i believe of native american descent he that dude's look like it's like he's that's a good looking dude where you're like why didn't this guy do more and he he really didn't i remember he had a brief stint on a um on a tv show somewhere around there because i remember recognizing him yes um afterwards peripheral minor parts i think he, he he's got into a lot a little of, stuff. Bit of independent film directing i think too so he kind of yeah. got went more behind the camera but definitely handsome dude clearly model model looks yeah <laughs> yeah so there's him and then there's another alex winter's got the he looks pretty much like he does in bill and ted except he's got yes. like long long hair, hair and then yeah. there's another blonde um dude who's Brooke, Brooke mccarter Brooke mccarter yeah Oh, he passed away. He passed away of a heart early, condition, I believe. Yeah, early age, only 52. That's too bad. Um, yeah, it doesn't look like. Yeah, he did very few. Th- he was in Thrashing, which is yeah. a uh, in '86, <laughs> which is a skateboard movie. Um, yeah, not a lot for him. Um, 
but um so yeah so the the frog brothers actually managed to kill marco one of the um one of the pack and then they um they get chased out of the lair um and um <laughs> the other thing too is this is such an 80s thing and i never noticed it until now as an adult but there's the very very widely used 80s trope of the parents don't know what's going on they don't believe what's going on and they're not clueless in a lot of the in a lot of these movies the parents are portrayed as idiots i don't think lucy the mom is portrayed as, as an idiot in this but she's just obviously not willing to go along with with what's happening right so <clears throat> that's a very strong 80s trope and then the kids on bikes that's like a, a whole thing like, oh, totally. like the kids kids have taken control on bmx bikes right yep yep which and is it's funny because you've got the older teenagers on motos and then you've yep. got them pedaling around santa carla like nobody's <laughs> business going to yep. the church to get holy water yep. going, you know it's just it's it's funny yeah they that's what we did in the 80s was basically <laughs> rode dirt bikes and stayed out past sunset yeah uh, so they're preparing for the final standoff um, to uh, defend the uh, you know grandpa's house, um, and then uh, sure enough, when it gets dark, and they and they come up with a contrivance to get rid of grandpa. They tell him this this widow that he's been seeing is uh, expecting him to pick right. <laughs> pick her up, even though he doesn't remember <laughs> it because it wasn't it wasn't happening. And then uh, I think the mom is probably working, or maybe she's with Max. But um, yeah, I think they were they were having that second date dinner yeah. to the makeup date. Yeah. Yeah, at his place. So um, so we get that final standoff where the the pack shows up. Um, and uh, you get some some cool deaths here too. You get um, one of them goes in the uh, the tub of holy water. Um, right. Courtesy of Nanook. Um, yep. Thank God. Knocks, knocks him in. Um, that's uh, that's Paul, right? That's Brooke McCart. Is that is he the yeah. one that way? Yeah. So um, and again, it, you know, not over the top gory, but but like he's melting and it's um, right. it's pretty cool effect. Yeah. And the good effect and obviously what, what they did with uh, the bubbling of the water of his yeah. you know, the holy water, the, the reaction, because I thought it was, you know, it was it was another secondary point to when when they when they tried to douse Max's spaghetti with garlic, uh, Paul said, garlic don't work, boys. So, obviously, you know, that was kind of a neat kind of they circling back to, OK, well, maybe garlic in its base form doesn't work against vampires. But when in conjunction with holy water, it's a it's a it's a death blow. Well, and, and you also almost wonder, too, if the garlic floating in there is a is a trick, you know, mm. where it's like, oh, this is just garlic and water where right. put, put the holy water in there right so yeah so that's that's a cool death and then we get um billy worth uh his Dwayne character dies uh death by stereo death by <laughs> stereo which, which at first i was like he got shot with an arrow and i get he gets like zapped but he's a vampire and he pretty much explodes like his hand <laughs> comes flying off but then i was like well i mean i guess an arrow is technically just a wooden stake <laughs> Right. If it, it clearly had to have gotten him through the heart, I'm assuming, yeah. and then that plus the electricity blowing. Because Corey, Corey Feldman's character, you know, when a vampire bites it, it's never a pretty scene. Some implode, some explode, but they'll all try to take you with them. So he kind of sets up almost what the scene is going to happen, how things are going to unfold between the battle between the, the humans and the vampires. Yeah. So at this point, you've just got David left. Um, you know, there's the the showdown coming with him and Michael. But and again, this is one that I never thought of. Laddie at this point, who's there with Star and they're they're protecting them there. 
Laddie goes full vampire at this point. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't get why that happens. I know from a storytelling standpoint, it's adding more tension, but I don't understand from a, a logical standpoint why that happens. My only thought to that, and this is another point that, you know, Jamie Gertz character star, she never vamps out in the entire film. There's at no right. point does she actually exactly. turn, right. whereas everyone else who's a vampire had turned. Right. I look, think that's, Laddie, that's like two points down. I never see Jamie Gertz yeah, go full vampire. Same. <laughs> but yeah. I think the, the Laddie thing, too, because you kind of see him under the bed. He's kind of pulsing and yeah, his eyes open. And like he just tears to... through the fabric of the bed. Yeah. I have Which a feeling. Is a cool visual, like when he pops up through cool visual. The only logic that I can find be- behind that is that his the lust that he has in his body can no longer be contained, and he's realizing that his kin. If yeah. we say the vampires are all kin because they've all have the the the, the, the blood coursing through the veins, he realizes there's a threat there, and he's a small vampire, but. That's the only the only the only connection I can think is that he is his body is finally given out for him to turn and or at least become or make an attempt to become a full vampire because the animal side is taken over and two or three of his brethren, you know, his family have been wiped out at this point. So maybe it's a a, you know, environmental reactionary thing that he's going through. Yeah. And we don't really know. We're not ever given. I mean, he never speaks and we're, we're not really given a ton of info on him for all we know you know star is dragging him around and and he's not necessarily a willing right. you know participant maybe he'd rather be with the the other ones so yeah sure. okay I, I can accept all that <laughs> <laughs> so we get the um we do get the final showdown between michael and david and they're like flying around the room and um now now i was able to say okay the arrow is essentially a, a wooden stake but i don't get the antlers okay. killing David, I don't. Okay, I, and, and this is and this is where the storyline was supposed to continue after this film um, ended. Horns are not bone. Uh, horns, horns are bones. They're not wood. Right. So the tie-in off this is, you know, like I told you um, uh, the other night, you know, I reread the the movie script to The Lost Boys, and back in college, I also purchased at one of the 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 those fairs where they have bootleg CDs, posters, and movie scripts, uh, The Lost Boys 2. So there was supposed to be a secondary film um, called The Lost Boys 2, tentatively titled The Lost Girls, but where David, when he gets ultimately loses the fight, a short-lived fight with with Michael, gets impaled, that doesn't kill him, and that basically sets up the storyscape for the next film that never came to fruition, unfortunately. Okay. Okay, that makes. I sense. should send you uh, if you haven't read the script. I should I should make you a copy of it to you and send it to you because I think you would appreciate. It. It's kind of a neat little archival piece of Lost Boys history, which definitely carries on the lore of the story that's uh, that was you know developed in the first film. And it's it's a sad state that they never came that they never filmed it because everyone was going in too many different directions. You know. Um, in their careers, and I think one of the other one of the, one of the detractors when Corey Feldman got in trouble with heroin and shit like that that yeah. was somewhat prison time. So the, there's a lot of factors that negatively influenced the second film coming, and for them to have, to do a a a, a an, another film, they would have had to have done it within I would say the, the like three years. So that's because this film came yeah. out in you know, 87. They would have had to have done it before 90 to make it still relevant and keep people's attention, you know, uh, right. in, in the story. 
Yeah, and it because it was a success. It made it only cost yeah. eight point five million to make, and it grossed thirty two million. So right. that's that's for for eighties money. That's a pretty good hit. That's, so, that is a good haul. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so yeah, David goes into the antlers, which quote unquote kills him. We get another right. quick refrain of "Cry Little Sister," but then we do get the reveal that Max was the head vampire. Um, right. So then it's uh, Grandpa to the rescue as he <laughs> literally <laughs> drives his truck through his, truck. his own home. With the La Cucaracha horn. <laughs> he the horn, yes, the La Cucaracha <laughs> horn. <laughs> and it sends um, – they had set this up earlier where he was putting up fence posts yeah. with these giant spikes on the end, essentially a massive stake, and it essentially okay, him – I got to say something about that. When they – that – point when he's hammering the stakes into the ground but you normally like, don't put the stakes yeah. upwards you those are the ones that go in the ground yeah, so was that was a strange. it was that i think that was a mistake but they for story plot subtlety they had to show that okay this is yeah. this may play some role for now uh, later in the film yeah it was that was i noticed that too i was like i was like what is he doing like, <laughs> so. they, you know back in like the 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 colonial days if you're making a fence to protect yourself against you know indigenous peoples or the enemy you, they would have those lincoln log style things pointed yeah. upward to prevent people from the, you know that's what would be right. the initial barbed wire to protect uh, a stockade or something but in this right. case you know, you're talking yeah. a fence that's actually all they're all together all the logs yes. are, are Whereas he's just putting in like a fence post to put like barbed wire around or whatever. Right, right, pointed in the opposite direction. But yes, that was a a little subtle like uh, storytelling piece, you know, to say that this w- would probably have another role in the film Perfect. later on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Chekhov's gun. Yeah, so so Grandpa to the rescue. He he drives through that giant stake, essentially launches off of his truck and impales Max. Um, right. And then uh, Grandpa very, very subtly just goes to grab himself a root beer out of the uh, out of the fridge. And then he's got the iconic line to to close the movie, which literally <laughs> there's no <laughs> there's no like happy ending or showing anything else after this. Right. Literally closes the movie where he says, only thing about Santa Carla, I could never stomach all the damn vampires. Oh, damn vampires. <laughs> and then cut to black and the family's just standing there and just. <laughs> And then people are strange, right. you know, closes the film as it, as it opened the film. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so great ending there. And I know they did some sequels and I'll ask you a little bit about that, but, um, like direct to video ones, but how cool would it be like, even now cast someone as young grandpa, young Barnard Hughes, and he's been a vampire hunter this whole time. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, there, there is speculation, and I'm not sure what network was it, the CW or something that that they were going to do a Lost Boy series, and every season was supposed to be I don't know ten years, so they were going to do like a lead up to this. I don't. It seemed like it stalled, but I read something a couple months ago that it's back on, but I have no idea what the status is. But it would be it would have been incredible for them to show more backstory. Of all the, the the main characters in the film, especially the like the like like you said, Grandpa being around for a very long time, because because earlier in the film he's, you know, when they ask him, Grandpa is, is Santa Carla really the murder capital? Really? He goes, oh, I don't know. There's some pretty bad elements around here, so he clearly knows what's going on without maybe not knowing specifics, but he's obviously been there a long time. He knows that there's some sort of danger lurking in the shadows of, of the town. Yeah. But yeah, it would be so cool for them to revisit. 
the storyline, but it ha- it has to be done right because you know, and you just mentioned you know the the direct to video follow up films. I, I don't. It's like for me in those follow up films is like my feelings after the first Matrix film. They never should yeah. have really been done. They you're you're, go, they don't you're, you're, you're changing stuff. You're 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 pulling. You're literally pulling teeth. It, it's just not you're bringing in characters that if they're turned they turned the lost boys franchise with those two or three other films and i just don't i just don't regard them as existing i think it's just safer for me to live in my universe (laughs) of the lost boys film as being the the solo film yeah and the fact that they never had the you know the the follow-up film which would have been done because Kiefer sutherland always said he was always up for doing um, yeah. A sequel to it, and and that is carried through any interview where he's ever been asked, either at a comic con or just in an interview. It just the opportunity never came. You know, Schumacher passed away a number of years, a long time ago. So it's just you know, it's a shame that they never pulled the characters back together because they could have done it and it would have been fantastic. Yeah. Yep, yep. So um, yeah, I just I I think and there's some cheesy things here and there, and a you know. Some of the humor doesn't always hit, but um, I think this movie holds up really well. I think the effects hold up well. I think the storytelling and pacing holds up well. The cinematography. Absolutely. Yeah, I, um, you know, again, like I said, I went into it wanting to take a look at it a little more critically and, and take my notes and everything. And I came out of it, I think, appreciating it more. It never gets old. And it's one of the few films, you know, next to Die Hard that I can recite almost verbatim uh, as the action is happening. It's, it's, it, it's had that type of impact. I mean, I, the first time I saw it in the theater was um, about a month or so, month and a half after my grandma passed, uh, you know, they, my, my grandparents were living in Florida. So our, my family, my family and then my, my uncle and his wife and my cousins all went down. And I just remember distinctly, you know, there's that one point I remember, prior to going to the the funeral uh, gathering that I'd seen the advertising uh, for the movie on TV. And it was just a phenomenal ad. I've watched it a couple of times over the years on YouTube and it's just a really cool um, uh, advert to promote the film. And when we get down there, I remember, I think my uncle or my, my mom were saying, yeah, you guys should go see a movie. And I was like, oh, my God, this could be my first time to go see a movie in a long time without, like, your parents being there. Yeah. So my my older cousin Susie and my uh, my other cousin Mary, who are just a year older than me, uh, my uncle dropped us off. It was weird because they had – that was when you had to be 18, I think, to get into a film. And – I was clearly not 18 at the time. My cousin was not 18, but my but my older cousin Susie was. So my uncle uh, tried to buy his tickets and said, "No, they're they're too young. They can't come in." I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" So so he we we stood back. He bought the tickets, gave them to us. We walked through, um, and that's back when they when they where the ticket takers actually were, you know, taking the tickets and ripping yeah, them at ripping this point. Them. Yep. So. Uh, the 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 person in the kiosk booth who wouldn't sell to us initially yells across the crowd, they're not old enough to go in. So my uncle, thank God he was still there, had to talk and negotiate that, you know, my older cousin is an adult and she can, you know, take care of us yeah. in the film, which is so nonsensical because the film is not, there's nothing about that film that a person in their young teens would be offended or terrified by. But right. that's the one, you know, fond memory I have of seeing that movie the first time in the theater. It was like about a month or so after it actually was released. And it was such a, you know, it's such a, a kind of a experience that has stayed with me so vividly throughout my entire life. 
yeah yeah it's cool how there's a lot of there's a lot of movies like that i think from our childhood where we can remember the first time we saw it Super in the theater yeah yeah what the um what the situation was and everything and yeah, yeah batman the 89 batman is one of those for me because that was sure. um that was the first time i had to wait in line for a movie um <laughs> i just remember going to to the the cinema there in waterville um nice with um with friends and and uh yeah having to, to actually wait in line to get in and um yeah so yeah that's cool that's a that's a good memory although obviously not a great circumstance for having to be no. on the floor. <laughs> but um yeah so uh yeah i mean i i think i think it holds up well i i i really enjoyed watching it again and um it's one that i will revisit from time to time sure um, same yeah so Excellent. Um, anything else on uh, on Lost Boys? Oh man, I just I hope and pray that one day you know that they don't remake it, that but they somehow take a story because yeah, the 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 subsequent films that you know Corey Feldman has appeared in have just been just down downright terrible. I mean they're I mean, I mean directed nothing... direct video <laughs> tells yeah. you all you need to know. I mean, and I thought like you know the Lost Boys two the tribe and. I remember seeing it for the first time. I remember when it first came out, and I think it was on YouTube. And you know, that's never a good sign if the if the, a movie that's just releases on YouTube, not always, not always, not always a you know a, a signifying marker. But the storyline was terrible. The 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 prosthetics were just so over the top. I mean, they could have had some credibility had they stayed with the same prosthetics, like you said, the slight animalistic, slightly angular features. But they went over the top with like. Now the vampires have like entire full mouths, rows of fangs and stuff. No, you, you, for the Lost Boys, there's a, a level of excellence that you have to achieve to be considered in that same realm. And they just botched in every single aspect of that film. Yeah, It's so bad, I barely remember what happened in it, but, you know, it was just terrible. Yeah, I've, I've never bothered to revisit them, and I, I think you're – uh association with the matrix i think is accurate too it's like yeah it's like yeah there's there's nothing after that first one and there's um there's another it's a more recent movie although still i'm 20 21 years old at this point but um uh donnie darko which yeah. apparently they made a sequel to which i'm like i have zero interest in seeing because did not even realize that is jake gyllenhaal in it or no i don't oh, think so it's it's um i think it's called samantha darko it's about his sister it's um oh, i yeah i'm like it passed because i i really like donnie darko so N- know what that means someone in some someone had some money to burn and <laughs> right. we know it's probably not going to do well but we have to get rid of this money or or the budget won't come in on on par for next year <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm just like yep that doesn't exist so i'm just gonna <laughs> ignore it um right yeah so um so yeah no that was great that was a good good revisit awesome. it feels good to, to get back to to doing the show definitely and, uh, i think next month and we didn't talk about this so i do this to brad a lot where i just spring stuff on him but we normally normally with the last couple of years historically on historically. ego in December, we will do something toy-based or nostalgia-based for Christmas. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on – I know we've we've hit the two big ones for both of us. G.I. Joe and Star Wars were, were yeah. big two for both of us. Um, I had a third that was distant but was still very present uh, that I thought we could talk about if it was high enough on your right. list, and that would be Transformers. How did I know you were going to say Transformers? <laughs> I knew you were going to say Transformers. 
We that sounds like a very distinct possibility. I didn't have a ton of toys, but I had enough that I can hold up in a, in a conversation okay. about okay. it. So yeah, I, mean, I never had I never had a lot, but um, but they were I watched the cartoon and they very know. very yeah I was addicted to the cartoon. Thank God because that you know that carried me through because yeah. and then it was a good cartoon. There, then there's some comic book crossover there between. Yeah. Uh, you know, GI Joe and and Transformers. I think at yep. one point. So yeah, I've yeah I don't have those anymore, sadly. But I re- I remember the covers distinctly. They again yep. another childhood memory that is now imprinted on my brain. Yeah, no Transformers sounds like a fantastic because then that will open us what has come since the 80s uh, as Transformers have evolved yeah. into the mainstream consciousness and and through on the silver screen. So yeah, okay, cool, awesome. That will be the plan then. Okay, and we'll we're, we're gonna we're gonna get back on track because next year, in twenty twenty two, will be the movie that I've been waiting to do will be forty years old, and that is Conan the Barbarian. Oh yes. <laughs> so we, we will we will finally be talking about Conan, which I have as much as I've talked about it on other podcasts, I've never done an actual full episode on that movie. Um, so I'm very That's excited to do fun. that. It is, and that's that's unapologetically my favorite movie. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, we're we're back on track. So thank you, Brad, for uh, for joining me today of and course. talking about the Lost Boys. All right, any plans? You're gonna go. We're doing this wicked early for you. You're going gonna go uh, right around. Early. I, I, we scheduled the podcast early because I'm getting an official haircut first time oh, in okay. four or five years. So that that's coming about. That's happens <laughs> in exactly at one hour and one minute from now. A little nervous, a little sweaty right now, but I should be okay. Are you are you getting a lot taken off or just a clean? Three or four inches worth. So yeah, it's it's yeah. going to be big, and I don't know what 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 I'm going to look like afterwards. But I I yeah, I've had the initial dialogue with the, with the uh, stylist. She I sent her some headshots, and now we're going to come to an agreement as to what the best <laughs> course of action is to take my hair down. Wow. <laughs> All right. So big day. Big day. It's it's and it's it's funny, you know, um, I'm 49 and I feel like I'm a 17-year-old who's afraid to have his hair and his <laughs> hair cut off because it's taking part of his soul away. Yeah, you know, everyone's like everyone's like, "Oh, it's not going to be that bad." Well, what happens if it is that bad? What happens if it's that 110 that is bad? <laughs> I know I'm I'm I know I'm being dramatic, but again, we'll, we'll we will we will see the fruits of of the of yeah, of the shearing in just a couple hours time so <laughs> oh and that reminds me happy belated birthday your halloween thank birthday. you sir yep yeah. i so. made it almost one more revolution to to the big five zero and i feel i feel like uh age is just a number i, I sure as hell don't feel 49 or look 49 and I'm, I'm gonna keep doing what i'm doing until i'm no longer able to do it so yeah that's the way this is the way this is so. the way Awesome. Well, very good to get back to doing this and, and fun to talk Definitely. about this movie. And we'll, we'll talk about some fun toys next time around. Yeah, we will. All right. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, listeners. As always, my name is Ian Clark. For Brad Anderson, I just want to remind you, never invite a vampire into your home. It renders you powerless. listening to Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast with Ian Clark and Brad Anderson. We are a part of the Freebooters Network. Check out thefreebootersnetwork.com to listen to all the awesome podcasts on the network. We also invite you to check out our sponsor, Geek Nation Tours, at geeknationtours.com and interact with our Facebook page, ask questions, offer comments, and critiques. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.